Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. Another coffee shop trying to organize. National Labor Relations Board getting tough with Amazon. OSHA and the Fairfax memo will explain. Today on the show, it's a big W-I-N for A-F-G-E and a T-S-A. And later, we'll check in with UA Local 565 in West Virginia. Welcome to the Wednesday, January 18th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms, including... Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. Johnny Jones is going to be our first guest on the show today. He comes to us from the Transportation Security Administration, where he works since 2002. He also serves as the Council Secretary Treasurer for AFGE Council 100. Website, real simple afgecouncil100.org, AFGE, proud sponsor of America's Workforce, the American Federation of Government Employees. Johnny is also treasurer for uh, Local 1040. He's had that position since 2014. What we're going to talk about today on the show is a big win for what we call the airport screeners, and this is a battle that's been going on for a long time. We're talking 44,000 airport screeners who are going to get one heck of a pay raise, and rightly so because they were underpaid for over 20 years. This measure was approved after the November election by the now-ended Democratic-run 117th Congress. Republicans did not like this because it allotted almost $400 million for the screeners to boost their pay about 30% per screener. Now, keep in mind, these screeners, <laughs> they were not allowed to unionize when the uh, TSA was formed. This was right after 9-11. George W. Bush was president. Finally, when Obama came into office, they were allowed to unionize, and they joined up with the American Federation of Government Employees. And the battle to raise their pay, they were in a different classification, and they had huge huge problems with retention because they did not see their pay go up. You could be there 30 years and you're still in the $40,000 range, maybe 50 for some. That's how bad it was. So finally, thanks to uh, a lot of lobbying on behalf of a wonderful union, the American Federation of Government Employees, we're going to see a big change here. Now there's a couple of issues that remain. And uh, we'll talk about that as well with Johnny Jones as our first guest. Later in the show, we're going to go to the state of West Virginia, check in with the business manager of UA Local 565, uaLocal565.org. That would be Brad Britton. And uh, we're going to zero in on uh, this year's legislative session. There's some concerns about the weakening of craft licensing and unemployment. Over the last couple of years, lawmakers there, and I believe they have a super Republican majority, they have continued to attack craft licensing requirements. They also, well, they tried to do this in the last session, 
to cut unemployment benefits in half from 26 to 13 weeks. They were not successful in doing that. And the reason for that is because of locals like 565 doing the appropriate lobbying here. We'll talk about work in the area. Apparently, uh, West Virginia Methanol just announced a major operation, $350 million plant in uh, Pleasance County. Also, uh, Natural Gas, Competitive Power Ventures announced a $3 billion investment in, uh, I believe it's uh, Doddridge County. Nucor Steel Company announced a $2.7 billion steel mill. So (laughs) bottom line is there's a lot of work going on in uh, West Virginia, and obviously the plumbers and pipe fitters are going to be players in all that work. So Brad Britton will be our second guest right here on America's Workforce. Now a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by the good folks at Boyd Waterson Asset Management, offering fixed income, real estate, equity investment options, Options for clients nationwide, $17 billion in assets and growing. BoydWaterson.com. Workers at a Pete's Coffee and Tea store, this would be in Davis, California, are set to vote on whether to unionize this week. Pete's, which boasts over 330 domestic locations, does not currently have any unionized stores. Workers have complained of low pay, a broken scheduling process, and lack of recourse for customer misconduct, among other things. Well, two stores in Davis, again, this is California, filed with the board to unionize, but one of the stores withdrew its petition. They're not saying very much about that. Notably, the workers at Pete's were directly inspired by what's going on at Starbucks organizing with Workers United, SEIU, and following a similar model. Comment here from uh, one of the baristas. I feel like we're in a very fortunate position where we have watched Starbucks Workers United go before us, and they laid out the steps. Now we can follow in their footsteps. Now, if the union push is successful, Pete's would be one of a number of coffee chains that have organized and then in the last several years, including Starbucks, Collectivo, Spot, and a couple of others. Amazon has been ordered by the National Labor Relations Board to recognize and bargain with the Amazon Labor Union at the company's JFK 8 warehouse in Staten Island, New York. This is a fight that's been going on since the workers won the election by a 55% margin last year. The, uh, the company, Amazon, filed several challenges to the election but a hearing officer recommended rejecting all of them every one of them in his ruling which the regional office has now adopted the nlrb ruling imposes a legal duty on amazon to recognize the union as the workers representative at the warehouse and negotiate a contract and get this if amazon refuses to bargain the union will probably file a charge with the labor board to force the company to the table. They're going to they're gonna pull out all the stops. You know that. You know that. Interesting uh, story out of California today where the Supreme Court is being asked to rule on the compensation of inmates awaiting trial. 
the inmates who have been working in Alameda County jails for a subsidiary of Aramark Corporation have not been convicted. So they're still innocent, okay? They're currently awaiting trial. Innocent until proven guilty, right? Well, the case arises from a challenge to a federal district judge ruling back in 2021 that refused to dismiss a class action lawsuit brought by the inmates under California state wage laws, concluding that the detainees could bring claims for unpaid wages under the state's labor code. The decision in this case could impact the unpaid or underpaid labor that's commonplace in our correctional system. Well, companies love that, huh? <laughs> let's let's use the inmates to make our goods. We don't have to pay them. OSHA is set to propose a revival of what's called the Fairfax Memo. That's a policy that goes back to 2013, which allowed union affiliates and community reps to represent employees during OSHA health and safety inspections at non-union shops upon employee authorization. Well, in 2017, the Trump administration withdrew the Fairfax memo. No surprise there. So the new proposed rule would also clarify the role of union officials during OSHA inspections of union shops seeking to avoid the delays that sometimes occur under the current regime when an employer challenges a union-designated worker rep. Employers bitterly opposed the Fairfax memo when it was in place, viewing it as a way for union officials to get in contact with their employees in hopes to convince them to unionize. Well, the new rule, if enacted, will likely face a legal challenge, especially by conservative legal groups. The Third Circuit Court is set to hear a case today with potentially major implications for labor relations and collegiate sports. Now, this case is called Johnson versus the NCAA, and it presents the court with the question of whether students can possibly be interpreted as employees under the Fair Labor Standards Act solely for their participation in collegiate sports. Now, if the court determines that students could possibly be considered employees, the case will be remanded to the district court to determine if student-athletes are, in fact, employees under the Act. That's certainly one to watch, no doubt about that. All right, we're coming up to break time. When we come back, we're going to check in with Johnny Jones of AFGE Council 100. Back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot 
There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US, Canada, Canada and, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. The AFL-CIO is a proud sponsor of America's Workforce Radio. United by efforts to raise wages, listeners to this show and workers all across America are beginning to turn a corner and drive the economic debate. The AFL-CIO is comprised of 12.5 million working people, but we stand with and fight for everyone who is working for a better life. For more information about our Raising Wages agenda, go to AFLCIO.org. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. Hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland at 216-881-1802. Call Music Talent of Cleveland as your dependable source for professional musicians in Northeast Ohio. Union musicians add harmony to weddings, elegance to parties, and uplifting music for all events. Music Talent of Cleveland contracts solo and ensemble musicians as well as bands and orchestras for single engagements. So hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland today. 216-881-1802. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Make sure you get the word union there. Let's go to Fort Worth, Texas right now. And joining us on line number one is Johnny Jones. Johnny is Secretary Treasurer of the American Federation of Government Employees Council 100. And he's been an airport screener for over 20 years. And uh, as you heard me talk in the intro of the show... The screeners are finally getting a pay raise. Wasn't easy. I always say it's never a straight line. It's been a fight that's uh, taken over two decades. Johnny Jones, welcome to America's Workforce. you got to be a happy camper now, right, Johnny? I'm a very happy camper, but I'm really happy for the workforce. Um, you know, it's been a long battle, and we're uh, – there's still a few kinks in the in the road potentially, but, you know, like I said, it's still going to be an overall very good uh, thing for the workforce. Well, let's go back to uh, when you became a screener. First of all, why did you decide to become a screener? And obviously, that propelled you into rising up the union leadership. So uh, take me back to that time, Johnny. Uh, well, it, you know, after 9-11, uh, the economy was kind of slowing down. But, you know, it all goes back to a, a sense of call, a call of duty. As a guy can, you know, had a lot of friends. They uh, they went off into the into the armed services and, of course, I had kids at the time, and I definitely was not a, in a position to do something like that. And then when uh, I heard the opportunities about, hey, they're starting a new, a whole new agency uh, to address the issues with the, you know, the air, air safety, so to speak, the TSA, and this is just going back to 2002. And and I was like, hey, there's an opportunity for me to do something, and so I left my position I had been at for you know numerous years to. Uh, 
to come work for the TSA, you know, it was a tremendous pay cut at the time uh, for me to go from my current employer to where I was at the TSA, but I felt like it was a sense of duty. Mm -hmm. The fact that they didn't allow you to unionize, I remember George W. Bush was president then, and uh, he created the agency, which was obviously needed after 9-11. We understand that. But uh, that had to bother you. I, I don't know how what kind of union history you had or union family history you had, but uh, how did you how did you feel about that at that time? Um, well, my first of all, I have an uncle. He was in a, you know he worked for the government for thirty years, and you know he was like, oh yeah, man, you're going to get a great job as a government. You'll get all these benefits. You know, you'll be able to join the union. My father was a, uh, you know, the, the CWA for all these years. And he also worked for Boeing, which is another union. So unions in my family, my uncle, he retired out of the, uh, out of a local, uh, concrete mixing union, uh, you know, basically, you know, working on the, on the roads. Of, I don't know exactly which, uh, which union he was in, but I just know that everybody in my family was in the union. I grew up in the Midwest and, you know, we, out of, uh, say St. Louis, uh, area. So pretty much everything he did was in the union. One of my first jobs was working as a, as a deli slicer, you know, basically as a union making three times as much more money than my buddies at Mickey D's. And they thought I was crazy. And I said, well, you know, Hey, I don't have no problem paying my union dues because they normally work and fight for your benefits. And coming to this new agency, knowing that you're not going to have those kind of rights and benefits was a little, little questioning at first, but I was like, Hey, you know, you know, I know they got to get things up and running. And I understand all that. And, uh, you know, down the road, I'm sure we'll be able to get those things squared away. And I, that was something that we thought was probably in the works when we first got hired. But the there was always the kickback. Oh, no, next time we'll uh, we'll worry about these rights. Uh, but, you know, under my administration, we're not going to deal with those things. It's something down the road. And it kept kicking down the road for a long time, for about 10 years, before we finally got our first uh, negotiated contract and have some limited collective bargaining rights. And that was under the Obama administration, right? Yes. We went through the the whole Bush administration, and then uh, it was about ha almost halfway through the, the – it was almost through his first term before we got done with uh, having some kind of partial collective bargaining rights because there was so, so much pushback. There was so much pushback from um, one, one political aisle. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, you you had a lot of well, they were pushing back on this pay raise too. We'll get to that in a minute. But uh, when when you were allowed to unionize, you were classified, and maybe you can explain because there's various classifications when you work for the government, and your classification was very very low as far as pay goes. Can you explain that part to us? Yeah, um, during. The creation of the TSA, um, like we discussed before, there was uh, some serious pushback on one side of the aisle about collective bargaining rights and calling this government fat cats. You know, the guys were going to create this new agency of a bunch of government fat cats. Well, the fat cats are definitely not the guys on the front line, right? Um, we we're the lowest paid. So they said, we need this pay for performance system. Uh, we need to create a whole new system that's way better for the government. And we were going to be what they call the the poster boy of how great the pay for performance system was. What's pay for performance is whatever money we have left over at the end of the year, we can give you in pay raises. And believe you me, there was uh, it was always on the short end of the stick. Um, if there was any pay raises, it was uh, whatever was left at the table, and you got the scraps. You know all the 
uh, all the you basically you were always the stepchild and uh so if there was any money left over, it was always the smallest pay raise you could possibly imagine. Uh, for the federal government, you'd get steps every year or, under you know, if you're under a different pay system. But pay for performance, there was nothing set up for us like that. So you might be happy to get a 1% pay increase or half a 1% pay increase uh, after a year's duty. And believe me, there were several years you didn't receive anything. And uh, I would be willing to say that half of my career was like that for the first 10, you know, 20 years, I, I, half of my time is here. There was never a statutory pay increase other than the cost of living adjustment. That had to be tough for you, too. It's, uh, I, I was reading that you have four kids raising a family. Yeah. That, yeah you, how, do you, how do you survive on a, on a, on a salary like that, right? Uh, you're not surviving. Uh, you're slinging pizzas on the side. <laughs> is that what you did? Oh, yeah. I slung pizzas for, until 2018. Amazing. What 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 kind of salaries are we talking about? Like from start, and I heard all kind of horror stories that you maxed out at, I believe it was maybe in the high 40s after so many years of service. But I mean, from, wait, if I just joined, say, we'll go back to the time when you joined the, the TSA, what you started with and what you ended up with after so many years. Okay. Yeah. Um, I started at $12.43 an hour back in 2002. And... As of today, I am just now breaching that. After 20 years, I am now breaching the like $22 and some change kind of uh, per hour, just to give you guys an idea. After uh, 20 years, I went up uh, about 10 bucks an hour. That's it. Amazing. Yeah, after, but in the, but in the federal government, man, that's like uh, for for my class of work. If you were to look at our comparable agency like Customs. Man, that's uh, probably like a half of what these guys would be kind of making after this time in their in the agency. And, and let's let's point out here, Johnny, you're keeping us safe. <laughs> you're keeping us safe at the airport, isn't it? That's that's pretty crucial this time, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, um, like I said, I did this because I felt like it was the right thing for me to do. Yeah. Uh, I would have never let my kid follow my career path ever. I said, you're never working at TSA. Um, I said, this is a job, this is a job, not a career. Um, this is not working for the, the people of the United States. This is your, you have a job and that's what it is. And, but now, uh, because things are changing, finally, this is now, I could actually classify this as, Hey, this is, could be a career for somebody. Cause I would never put somebody in this position where you work at a place where you have no rights, your pay is just unpredictable, and it's kind of the wild west for uh, federal employees. Um, yeah. if, if you talk to any other federal employee, be like, "What the heck is this? I've never heard nothing like this." So yeah, um, that's it. Bottom of the scale here. Bottom of the scale. Um, as a result of the low pay, not too many people stuck with it like you. I'm, I'm sure a lot of the people that you work with said, "Hey, I'm not going to put up with this." Um, yeah, there's quite a few people that say, hey, I'm deucing out. I'm going to uh, USCIS or Customs or, you know, uh, different agencies of Social Security. Um, we became the uh, the farm system for the federal workforce where uh, you'll start at TSA for a year or two and then uh, move on to another agency. And that's what's been going on for the last, you know, 10 years at least because everybody had hope. Hey, we're going to get this fixed, but it never happened. 
Well, finally, things have changed, and definitely for the better. Johnny Jones joining us on our live line today from Fort Worth, Texas. He is the Secretary-Treasurer of AFGE Council 100. AFGE Council 100.org is the website. Later in the show, we're going to check in with Brad Britton. Brad is the business manager of the Plumbers and Steamfitters, local 565 out of West Virginia. Back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A.org. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's cwad4.org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. Buildings, bridges, skyscrapers, and more. Structures that are the face of our cities and towns were built by members of the Iron Workers Union. That's why it's important that our workforce of over 130,000 iron workers continues to be the safest and best trained in the field. With 154 training centers, we invest over $90 million annually in safety and training. We're growing the next generation of union iron workers. There are so many reasons to put your trust in our iron workers and their employers. Learn more about us at ironworkers.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. And when you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis. And give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings. And we're getting more of them. So we do appreciate that and keep them coming. Let's go back to Fort Worth, Texas right now. Rejoin Johnny Jones on behalf of the... AFGE Council 100, which represents the nation's 44,000 airport screeners that just got a pay raise, a significant one, about 30%. Johnny, I came across a story the other day about uh, the work that the screeners do and the things that they find at the airport. It's crazy. How many people, you would think by now, 
it's probably not a good idea to pack a gun in your suitcase and try to go go on a flight. I mean, people, I don't know if they forget about it, but the story that caught my attention was, this was deliberate, they packed a gun inside of a raw chicken and then put the chicken in the suitcase. Johnny, for 20 years, you've been a screener. I'm sure you've seen a whole lot more than that, huh? I've seen, uh, you know, my experience over the years is uh, it's amazing. I've seen all kinds of crazy stuff, you know. Um, every day when I'd wake up in the morning and go to work, I, I kind of had circus music playing in the back of my head because you just never knew exactly what you were going to come across at work. Um, you know, I've had scorpions uh, jump out at me. Um, you know, when I was going through a bag, you know, you've seen, I mean, people put anything inside of peanut butter thinking, oh, yeah, nobody's ever going to find my you know, whatever my contraband that I'm trying to smuggle through. Um, of course, you see people's, uh, they would hide their dirty magazines, you know, behind their, their uh, you know, in spots in their bags. I'm like, you know, so you, you'll you see it all, man. And people try to package stuff all the time. But, you know, people forget about the firearms. That's the biggest problem. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, you know, for the guys who forget, you know, they, Back in the day, they were uh, like when we first started, man. They get arrested, they had to go to jail, did the whole nine hours. But now that they've kind of relaxed the rules on that, if you make a mistake or something, you know, you may not. It just it's up to your municipality. Actually, it has a lot to do with that. But um, yes, we've seen a lot of people get guns. I had a guy that um, we had a code that we called out for when we had a gun, and the guys were like, "No, no, no, it's not a, that one. It's a it's a thirty two automatic." That's what he was trying to tell me. I was like, "What?" No, he thought it was referring to the gun was actually a, a code to, to let him know we need law enforcement. But, um, you know, and I had a one guy, he actually had two full size shotguns in the duffel bag. And he was like, oh, I'm going to take them on a plane and protect the people on a plane. I was like, Oh my goodness. So, oh, and no. I feel bad for, you know what I mean? I was like, he thought I was going to, you know, I was like, well, this is, you know, but I'm telling this to mentally ill people, but I don't really know where these people come up with. It was kind of a, I've seen a lot of things over the years. Um, I never forget time I've you know, had some good experiences too. We always talk about th- bad things. Like I, there was a lady who lost her earrings. She goes, "This was like her a family heirloom," and I ended up finding it. And the lady gave me a big giant kiss in front of all my managers. I, like, I promise I didn't do anything. You know, I, <laughs> you know. So I was, uh, you know, so I was like, "Oh, great! I'm going to get written up for a lady deciding to to try to, you know, put the kiss on me because you're the sweetest guy I ever met." So it happens in life. Yeah. Yeah. I know a lot of people forget. I know a judge who uh, said, you know what? If you're that stupid to bring a gun on a plane, you deserve to go to jail and think about it. And uh, she she has sentenced a couple people to uh, two months in jail. And then she'll let them out in 30 days. She said "By in 30 days, they should have figured out what they did wrong. But uh, like you said, it, it depends on the municipality. But uh the gun in the raw chicken really caught my attention, and I figured I'd share that with you. All right, let's, I don't let's know go what back. You're do with that. Yeah. <laughs> let's go back to uh, how you were able to get this pay raise. And I got to thank uh, you. Got great leadership from the American Federation of Government Employees. You know, I, I've learned a lot. They've been a true sponsor here on America's Workforce for years, and uh, it's great to see what's happening. And again, we're talking leadership, the right people in office, obviously. But this all came down uh, late last year. Can you explain what it took to make this happen? This is all yours, Johnny. Oh, well, first of all, this took a bunch. It took a collaboration of people from across the country. 
uh, getting uh, mobilized. We, you know, it was a big giant grassroots grassroots operation. We got everybody mobilized, and we we taught everybody exactly how we needed to be, including myself. You know, when I first started as a union leader. Um, so you you get mobilized, you start up, and you get everybody marching the same way. You know, learn how to reach out to politicians and explain to them, hey, this is the situation we have. Um, we're not getting pay raises. We have all kinds of fights going on. So with that being said, you know, um, and then eventually we started getting some headway, especially once we started getting a few people in the, on the other side of the aisle. There's always, there's, you know, one side of the aisle is pretty easy to get the understanding through. The other side we started making, you know, we finally started dr- getting the ice melted um, and actually like, hey, you know, we're starting to see your problem. But there's still a, a very large segment. So the battle was uh, long, hard fought. Um, I know the excitement we got when we first got our first co-sponsor on our uh, legislation it was from the uh, from the Republican Party about, hey, yeah, I see y'all's problem. And then we ended up getting quite a few. So um, we started gaining momentum for for this pay raise. And then, of course, we get the election of uh, President Biden. And President Biden, you know, he's a little more friendlier towards labor if he didn't know that. Um, and when he uh, appointed Secretary Mayorkas, Secretary Mayorkas uh, brought up the, the, the thing, hey, we need to fix this pay system, give these guys full collective bargaining rights. And the agency got them involved in it because they're for the longest time, the agency was like, oh, you don't need the GS pay system. We have a much better pay system. And I was always like, I don't understand how you're coming up with that. It's like, uh, we're not getting paid here. Maybe you guys are getting paid up there, but we're not getting paid here on the floor. So, um, But nonetheless, um, now we are – where we are and we're looking at the average TSO is looking at about a 30% pay increase, um, which will, you know, definitely change, uh, hopefully change the way they have to, maybe they're not working another job, you know, should help them save a little bit more money or, or pay for the bills. Cause you know what, but at the beginning of the job, the job was like, okay, in, in our career, the beginning of the career, you know, the, the pay was okay. It was lower end of the tier, but it was still manageable, but, and but now with the way the inflation has been over the last twenty years, you know the cost of money, um, everything's kind of caught up to the to the cost of the TSO because you know it's not like we get great benefits. People imagine federal employees get free health insurance. We don't. We pay the same as anybody else. So there's a lot of um, that comes out of your paycheck, you know. So there's a lot of things that come out of your check. And most people, are, oh, they got good money. No, no, no. Wait a second. We have to pay for all the same kind of entities and I mean bills that everybody else has. So, but this ought to help. Um, make careers out of this position as opposed to like, Hey, getting hired here and then moving on to something else. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm so excited about. You don't have to sling pizzas on the side, right? Oh no, we're not slinging pizzas right uh, anymore. Um, and you know, it's been a, it has been a slow cutback because the way the union is, uh, you know, it becomes when you get the more active you become in uh, the union, the, the, you know, the less time you're going to have for the job. I did finally finish college. I got my bachelor's degree in accounting. So, um, back in 2013. So like all these things were, I was like, Hey, I'm getting out of this agency, but I need to, you know, get my, get my degree and kind of start moving my way up. But I decided not to leave because I got involved in the union act, uh, activist and, you know, getting, uh, making my primary mission in life to get this pay done. Now I see the total was like $398 million. That That's what uh, was allotted for, the Transportation Security Administration. Was that the number that was originally proposed? And also, this is a two-part question. When do you get the pay increase? When does that happen? 
Well, as you can tell, it was only a partial amount of money recorded. It is the amount of money we needed, but it was only for one quarter of the fiscal year. So the government's uh, paid calendar year is actually October the 1st through September 30th. So it takes effect the fourth quarter of the government's year. So the government year, like I said, the fourth quarter is July 1st. And that will cover the the pay increases for the last quarter of the year, which would be July 1st. So you got to take this up again in order to continue the the money coming in? I don't believe so. I think once we get it done, it's uh, it should be in law, but I hope not because, man, it's been a hard fight to get it done. So um, I don't believe that we're in that position. But um, if we do know, we'll be calling our friends uh, in other unions and uh, across the um, – we'll be making a heck of a noise, I can assure yeah. you that. Well, you never know with Congress. I mean, they're talking about cutting Social Security and Medicare. That's it's it's scary the the stories that are coming out. And then there's this debt ceiling and collapsing the government, government shutdown. But what what remains here? I understand that uh, we're still not through the woods on this one. Can you explain what what needs to be buttoned up here? Oh uh, well, first of all, we we still. Our, everything that we get right now is administrative. Okay, so the administrator, which David Picasso has been a really a great administrator. He's really worked hard for the workforce. Uh, he's done a, a, a great job. He came out of the Coast Guard. He was a uh, for, for, did the comment of the Coast Guard prior to TSA. Um, and they, in in our history, most of our administrators, I mean, I, a lot of them came from the Coast Guard. I couldn't even. Uh, there was the vast majority came from the Coast Guard. So. Uh, because they, they must, the comparable size between TSA and uh, and there, but reason why we're not out of the woods, the woods yet is because we still need to get some of these things in law. Um, more specifically, our rights, like our ability to collectively bargain. You know, everything that he has said he's going to do, he's he's rolling out. We're, we're starting to, to get these rights rolling, but. We have a favorable administration right now, and as you can see, when you have a change in the in the top, the winds shift drastically. Yeah, and uh, you don't want to be. In, nobody wants to have that kind of life uh, where one the the ship could get flipped around and on a, on a dime. And so we need to make sure that these rights are codified in law. Boy, if there's one word that describes you and and the team of people around you, it's perseverance. I, I mean, this is a long time coming. Boy, what you had to go through in order to make this happen, I salute you and obviously the American Federation of Government Employees and your council there, 44,000 strong. It was a tough battle, but you finally got where you should be, and you got to keep moving from here. Johnny Jones, well, thank you so much for joining us today, brother. All right, hey, you get, you're welcome. Um, we're looking forward to meeting up with you guys anytime. I'll keep you up to date. Um, maybe come back on the show again. I, I love uh, being on here and uh, being a, having an opportunity to speak on behalf of the, the workforce here. So, Johnny, all I can say is uh, thanks for joining us here and explaining the backstory of what happened to get that pay raise of 30% for your 44,000 members at AFGE Council 100. AFGE Council 100.org. Johnny, you take care, stay safe, and stay in touch. Okay, brother? Oh, well, thank you. And this is the, the Union Brotherhood of this best, fighting to keep uh, keeping America safe and also to keep fighting for rights across all spectrums of uh, the union world. And we got to continue to build unions from the bottom up. And this is just a fine example of that, that we just uh, we did here at TSA. 
Amen, brother. All right, quick break. Brad Britton is with the Plumbers and Steamfitters in West Virginia. That's local 565. He's coming up next. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrens. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as healthcare and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with Lyuna. Find out what it takes for Lyuna to keep America running at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. The United Steelworkers of America represent over 70,000 workers in the state of Ohio. Steelworker members enjoy the benefits of some of the best contracts of any workers in the world. Many of your friends, neighbors, and relatives are members of one of the most effective Democratic unions in our country. With the pressures unorganized workers are under in today's economy, you need to join them. So call the Steelworkers Organizing Office at 216-292-5683 or toll-free at 1-800-443-3752. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SBS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. In fact, we had Melissa Cropper, president of the Ohio Federation, on the show yesterday. If you missed it, just go to awfpodcast.com. She was on fire talking about the uh, the legislature in Ohio, which is uh, pretty similar to what's going on in West Virginia. Let's go to Parkersburg, West Virginia right now. And joining us on line number two is Brad Britton, who is the business manager of the Plumbers and Steamfitters Local 565. He's been with the union for over 30 years, started in 1992, and has been business manager for the past four years. UALocal565.org is their website. And right now, counting retirees, they have about 330 members. Brad Britton, how are we doing today, brother? I'm good, Ed. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. 
Good, good. Anytime. I know you were on the show before. This is a good time to get an update. I want to get into your uh, legislature. But first, I see a whole lot of work going to West Virginia. <laughs> Talk to me about a yeah. couple projects. Mike, a, a methanol plant. I see Nucor. Uh, my gosh, why, why don't you run down what's happening there, brother? Yeah, be glad to, Ed. Yeah, there's there's a lot of activity in West Virginia, and uh, just waiting for a lot of it to kick off. But uh, several projects are close to our jurisdiction that we have for 565. You said the West Virginia methanol plant, that is actually in local 565's jurisdiction. So, uh, yeah, the West Virginia methanol, that's a pretty interesting project. It's about $350 million dollars. The methanol plant, like I said, but it's been delayed somewhat because of supply issues. You know, we know about the supply issue uh, that we're having on a national level. But, uh, yeah, that's just one project. There's there's quite a up, and uh, most of these or a lot of them are on the clean energy side. And we can talk a little bit about maybe some of that because uh, a lot of these projects are tied into that Inflation Reduction Act. That was passed by Congress. So, yeah, a lot of activity in West Virginia going on right now, getting ready to start. What about this uh, $3 billion natural gas plant? That's that's a chunk of money there. Yes, yes, it is. That's that's going to be located in the Doddridge County, West Virginia. It's, it's just outside of our jurisdiction. But all of these projects that we're going to speak about, our members with 565, they can they can go work at all of those. It's it's relatively close. The furthest they'd have to drive is probably a couple hours, if that. So, uh, but yeah, that's that that powerhouse is is going to be a monster, and uh, they're going to actually be using, from what I'm hearing, carbon capture technology. So, of course, that's clean energy, and uh, it's going to be going to be a big project. So we're we're hoping to be able to get quite a few guys on that, and we will. And it's a it's a big piping project, like any powerhouse. So I know there's a lot of things going on in uh, in energy development. Uh, can you tell us about uh, coal? What what's the situation with coal? I'm I'm reading that apparently there's a uh, energy harbor is closing down a powerhouse, and I coal is still big in West Virginia, though, right? Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Coal it it is still big, and we. We do still produce a lot of coal, but, you know, coal doesn't have a real good outlook long term. But we do have a powerhouse in our jurisdiction. It's in Pleasance County, but uh, Energy Harbor is the name of it. it. It is scheduled to close down in 2023. Now, there's there's some possibilities of some company coming in and buying it. We're kind of holding out hope for that. But as of now, it is scheduled to close down. So, uh, yeah, it's it's been a struggle for coal-fired powerhouses, at least in our area. But, uh, yeah, that is one that's scheduled to close down. So, so Brad, how's that going to affect 565, UA Local 565? Yeah, it, it will definitely affect because we, we did get some pretty good outage work at that powerhouse. Now, you know, that being said, in the past, we was able to get quite a bit of work out of that place, but over the over the past five, six, seven years, the outages at that powerhouse have not been quite as big. It seems like they've been kind of letting the the powerhouse go, 
you know, I don't know if they saw the writing on the wall, but they've just been doing the bare minimum to keep that place going. So, uh, yeah, just not a real good outlook there. Well, you've got other things happening, though. Nucor has a steel mill, $2.7 billion. I see a titanium plant. Um, there's a battery plant that's been announced, $750 million. This all sounds pretty good for your local. Are we talking about jobs that are going to last uh, quite some time here? Yeah, yeah. These are all these are all mega projects, so uh, all new builds. Now, the, the titanium plant, that one is actually located in our jurisdiction for 565. It's in Ravenswood, Ravenswood, West Virginia. It is a $500 million titanium plant that was announced. And actually, uh, I'm sure you've heard of Warren Buffett. He's the owner of BHE, Berkshire Hathaway Energy. And uh-huh. they are the ones that are supposed to fund that project. What's interesting about that, Ed, is that titanium plant is supposed to be powered solely by solar energy. So they're going to put in a big solar field and uh, and power that place by solar. So it's going to be interesting to see how that works because that's that's a pretty big industry to to be powering just by solar energy. But uh, but yeah, that's going to be a good project. It's slated to start. We're kind of being told this mid year maybe, but. You know, with big projects, it's it's kind of hard to tell, but that is a positive one for for our area. Brad, how is that being accepted? Because, you know, there's some on the far right that kind of laugh at solar and wind. They think it's a joke. Um, I'm just wondering, what's the community saying about that, being powered by solar? Right, right. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Sometimes you do get the the far right saying, uh, you know, you'll never be able to do it. And, you know, we hear it. You know, but uh, bottom line is what we do is we build these plants, you know. So uh, if if they want to build them, we'll, we'll get in there and do it for them. But we try and stay out of the the politics as far as the, you know, if, is it good, is it bad? You know, we supply workers to signatory contractors. So, you know, we want to build these plants and we want to build them right. Stay out of the politics. Just give us the work. That's that's what you got to do. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you know, but but you know, and I'm sure we'll get into some of the politics here a little bit later. But it's it's impossible, obviously, to stay out of it 100. percent But you know, something I always tell our guys, you know, we want to focus on what what matters to workers. You know, you can get sidetracked on on a lot of other topics, but. Uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit later. Yeah, well, let's get into it because um, I was reading earlier about uh, there's some concerns over the weakening of craft licensing, and then there's unemployment. They they want to chop that down. They try to do that in the last session. Can you give us an update of where we stand on these issues right now, Brad? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. the last time we spoke, we was right in the middle of the legislative session. So um, this time that we're talking, it, it just started on January 11th, so... It's a 60-day session, so I don't know a lot about what's going to happen, so we'll hear soon. But, yes, some of the things that they did last year and went after and was successful on some of it was the weakening of craft license. And that's not just plumber license. It's it's other crafts that require license. And, And like we spoke last time, I don't understand why they do that kind of stuff. You know, you're talking safety and uh, things like that, you're weakening our craft licensing and making it easier to get. But 
we are concerned that may happen again this session, but we don't know if it actually is yet until it gets a little further into it. So that is one of the things we're going to be looking out for. Now, the other thing that we have a big concern about is unemployment. Now, last year they did try and cut it in half from 26 weeks to 13 weeks. Now, they were unsuccessful, but there's nothing to say that they won't come after it again. And what's uh, surprising is, Ed, that they they increased the maximum weekly benefit quite a bit for West Virginia. West Virginia used to be one of the lower states with the weekly maximum, and it's increased pretty significant, But uh, you know, which is good. But I'm concerned that they may try and cut down on the, the time that you're allowed to claim. So that's a couple topics that we got to keep an eye on if it doesn't yeah, come up. Yeah. What, uh, what did they increase it to? What's the weekly benefit now, Brad? I think the maximum, you know, don't quote me on this, but I, it's close to 600 a week, I believe. That is so pretty good. So it's uh, pretty decent. Yeah, yeah. But I understand with the trades, you don't work all the time. So there's times that you need those benefits to, uh, to keep your family in business here i mean that's that's what it's all about that's that's crazy but you got to navigate through it it's i always say it's never a straight line there's always people that like to come down on unions they like to cut the benefits or saying well you're a bunch of lazy bums that there's work out there right the craft the craft licensing thing really bothers me i'm wondering are they pushing that because they feel that uh there's not enough people that are getting involved in the trades maybe if we i know they're doing this with teachers in a lot of states or they've done it in florida where they kind of lower the standards to become a teacher is that kind of what's going on right now yeah i i'd say there is some comparison there and i i said i it's just i can't fathom why they would do that you know i i don't know their exact reasoning i don't know if it's just to to come after craft labor because you know, when we introduced these licenses, at least on the plumber's side, uh, there was a lot of resistance, but we had a lot more representation in Charleston, which is where the legislative session takes place. But they wasn't too happy when we pushed through craft licensing. So I don't know if it's just to try and get back at us, but uh, there's some reason, and they keep going after it. Yep. All right, Brad, well, you hang in there. Thanks for checking in. Brad Britton, business manager, UA Local 565, uaLocal565.org is your website. Stay in touch and stay safe, okay, brother? We will, Ed. And again, thank you for having me. All right, that's it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, we'll check in with the Alliance for American Manufacturing and the latest from the North Coast Labor Federation. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.